that's enough announcements. I have to admit, I'm a little more scattered brain than normal. Um, and besides Easter coming up, I don't know if you know this or not, but there's two major Sundays for any church, Christmas and Easter. That's because even... The most sinful sinner that I was, I knew I would go to hell for sure if I wasn't in church on Christmas and on Easter. I'm not saying I was a good person before or after I left church, but I'm just saying those are two majors. So for a church, for the staff, um, those are our biggest Sundays to prepare for, to make sure that we're on the top of the... Um, everything. The house looks good. The, you know, the stage looks nice. The message has been prayed over, sweat over, blood, toil, blood, sweating blood for, did I mention sweating blood? Okay. (laughs) So besides Easter right all up in here this weekend, and I have to admit a couple months ago, I, you know, in the assemblies, there's three level of credentials. So you have to do all these classes and then apply for and get the or, the certificate of ministry. It's the first level of credentialing. And then you got to go through all these other classes it, to continue through to the license to preach, another level of credential. And then the third one, you go through all these other classes, and then you can apply for and get your ordination. All of them credentials, all of them with the Assemblies of God. This last weekend was my last class of ordination. So I was so happy that it's coming up. So I even got the book two months in advance, but I didn't crack it open until last Sunday. Because Easter's all right here. That's all I could think about, getting ready for Easter and the things we need to do and get prepared for. And So this last weekend, I, I, I wanted to say flew down there, but really I took my vehicle. But anyway... Drove down there and <laughs> took my class, passed my class, get me out of this class. And so as I was coming back, I thought, the grandbaby is closed. I have to stop and see the grandbaby before I come back. So I stopped, and my son Isaiah and, and his wife Rachel, some of you have met, and the grandson Owen Rampage, Victor Mauer is nine months now, and so I met up with them at the Okemos Mall, and they put them in the little stroller, and I'm waiting inside the mall. Where are they? Where are they? And here they come walking, and I'm talking on the phone to Brian. I'm like, they're here, and they walked right by me pushing that stroller, and I'm like, hey, hey. He's like, we got to keep moving or he'll get upset. So I'm like, okay. Finally, I yelled in the mall. I said, Isaiah, stop. I got to see his face. I said, so if we got to keep walking, at least go at my pace. <laughs> and I'll, you can chase me down. Just so, so I, the whole time walking through the mall, I'm walking like this. Hi, Owen. It's Gigi. How are you doing, Owen? And people are looking at it. Finally, I mean, I'm like out of breath. He pushed into this store, and I said, hold on, Isaiah. i got to catch my breath. And I sat down in the middle of the store right in front of Owen, and Isaiah said, really, Mom, is that where you're going to sit? I said, I just need to see his face. So right there in the middle of the store, clothes, we're playing with clothes and stuff, and I'm sitting on the floor, and I thought, this is it. Even if I flew down, drove down all this time, just to sit on the floor of a store, just to be in his presence and with his face-to-face with Grandma for a few minutes, it was worth it. And then you cry when they have to go. Anyway, so I'm a little scatterbrained because I, I obey the laws of the land. I really try to, but sometimes I feel like Paul when he says, if I've got to obey God or obey man, you know, and I had to get the message done. So I was trying to drive with my leg, and I was trying to look at my phone to get my message done. 
And I kept looking up and I thought, who's going to watch for the cops as fast as I'm going and the phone in my hand? And, and then I thought, oh, this is not good. <laughs> so I just set it down. So needless to say, besides being a little scatterbrained, because I got in late last night, um, I, we are going to rely fully on the Holy Spirit for the message this morning. But I really feel like I got a word from God. Actually, um, it was last week. I had a message all prepared, and God said, no, that's not it. Um, so we're going to dive into the word this morning, um, being Palm Sunday. We're going to read together, out of Matthew, a familiar story, hopefully, to a bunch of you. Matthew chapter 21 My whole point every Sunday is just to somehow present a window to God for you to peer a little closer to his face and understand a little bit more about him and look a little bit deeper and to hopefully be able to take you by the hand and get you as close as I can into his presence. So wherever you're at, whenever you're together, whenever we're together, to be able to sit down in the middle of the store floor if we have to and just bask in his presence face to face with him. So today as we read Matthew chapter 21, it's actually called the triumphal entry or the triumphant entry starting at verse one let's read this it says as they approached jerusalem and came to bethpage and on the mount of olives jesus sent two disciples saying to them now listen to this go into the village ahead of you at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell him that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal, 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 anyway, the baby of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. Very important that we always go and do what Jesus tells us to do. They brought the donkey and the colt, placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Listen to this. Here it is, verse 10 and 11. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth. In Galilee. Verse 10, again, it says, The whole city was stirred and asked, Who is that? I want to camp right here in this story and ask you today, which is the title of today's message, Who is Jesus to you? Here he is, their long-awaited king, coming to them, riding on a donkey, and in the ancient Middle Eastern world, kings that rode on horses were going to war. But if the king came on a donkey, it meant he's coming in peace. And so here he was, their long-awaited king, coming to them, riding on a donkey, symbolizing peace. And the whole crowd was yelling, Hosanna, which actually means save. They were shouting out, save us, save us, save us. They were declaring him as their king who was coming in peace and would be their savior. Yet, when others around them began to question, who is he? 
they responded with indifference. Oh, him? He's just a prophet from Nazareth. Him? Yeah. Just a prophet. You see, they all knew that a king was coming. They all knew the right words to say. They all knew how to lift their hands, sing the right songs, shout his praises. But they did not understand who was right in front of them. They didn't know whose presence they were in. Just knowing the scriptures is not enough. Even Satan knows that. Satan quoted the scriptures to Jesus. Knowing the scriptures is not enough. The religious leaders knew it front and back, yet they were the ones that Jesus rebuked the most. Knowing the scriptures is not enough. You can recite the whole Bible. It won't save you. This only points you to the one that can. As a matter of fact, in our class this weekend, and Lord help me or else I'm going to get this wrong, hermeneutics, the study of scriptures, how to study for God, the whole basis of hermeneutics is, a, I think it's called a spiral, which means the Bible is the little story. That when you look at the little story, and if I had a whiteboard, I would draw the spiral, the little story, the Bible. If you study that, it brings you back to the big story, which is God. Which once you start digging into the big story, God, it brings you back to the little story, the Bible. What else does it say? Which points you back to the big story, which brings you back in all around and all around, and actually you are in the center. Because it changes you. If you look at it correctly, if you look at the scriptures correctly, not to just memorize it and think that this is some, and I know, I'm sorry, this is not a magical incantation. Incantation. This is the little story that points you to the big God. And you can memorize this without knowing him, and it won't change a thing. The religious leaders knew all the scriptures. Matter of fact, what does it say? That they put together 600 more laws and regulations and rules because this wasn't enough to them. Yet they didn't know who was right in front of them. So again, my question to you today is, who is Jesus to you? To many, Jesus was their healer. Like the blind man who was brought before the religious leaders after being healed. Yet when questioned, his response was, who this man was? I don't know. Sinner or a saint? Again, I don't know. All I know is I was blind, now I see. Healed. That man? I don't know. To many, that's all he was. Is just their healer. Remember when he healed the ten lepers? How many came back? One. And I think he came back in shock. Because it didn't say that then that, that leper followed Jesus the rest of his days. Probably came back in shock. Look, oh, it happened. He's like, uh, I thought there was ten of you. Where's the other nine? See, to many, he was just their healer. To the woman at the well, Jesus proclaimed himself as the living water. And yet when she ran into the town to tell others about him, her confession was, come and listen to this guy. He's told me everything I've done. Hey, come listen to this guy. He, he's a prophet. But because she sat there at the well with him just a little bit longer, Something started scratching at the surface. 
the little foggy window started becoming a, a little clearer. She goes, but could this possibly be the Christ? Something just stirred within me. Just come on, come on and see him. And it said that almost the whole town came out, went to the well to see the prophet who told the woman everything she had done. And yet, because they then said, okay, you know, we listened to you long enough, but we want you to come into the town, stay a couple more days. We need to find out who you are. We don't want to just know about you. Yeah, that lady's testimony, that was great, but we need to find out who you are. Come stay with us longer. And then they turned to her after the two days and said, you know what? We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we know Jesus really is the Savior of the world because they wanted to find out who, who he was, not what he was. What he was, she said, was a prophet. What the crowd said he was, was a prophet. But they wanted to dig in and find out who Jesus was. To Lazarus, he was his friend and his resurrection life. His friend, I believe, gave him the passageway to become in his resurrection life. He stuck with Jesus close enough, found out who he was, dug in, wanted to know all about him, became his friend, and then experienced his resurrection life. To Saul, the persecutor of the church, he was the light that revealed the blindness and his overwhelming forgiveness and then became his mighty mission. My question, though, to you today is, who is Jesus to you? Is he just a familiar friend, an acquaintance? that you come and see once a week? Is he just someone who lent you a helping hand when you were going through a tough time? Is he just a crutch that you lean on when you think you need something? Is he just the symbol of peace or love you wear like a trinket around your neck, the bumper sticker on your car, or the tattoo on your arm? Is he just your get-out-of-jail-free card? Come on, it's time we get honest. He's got to be more than that. Or he's no more than just a prophet to you. Or is he the one who was beaten, tortured, and nailed to a cross, not for everyone, but for you? Do you personally understand the weight of what happened there? One of the most graphic portrayals of what Jesus went through was the passion, the movie. When I went and saw that when it was released in the theaters, I actually, don't judge me, I got my popcorn, I got my pop. Went into the theater, sat down, chatting with my friends, having a good time. We went to the midnight showing. And when it got to that part, I put down the popcorn, put down the pot, and got sick to my stomach. And I love gory movies. I'm sorry. I mean, not like gory, like satanic. I mean, like war, shoot them up, you know, and rides the Calvary type, but, you know. I like, I don't, it doesn't gross me out. That, because I knew that that was done, he substituted my punishment. He took on himself what I deserved. I got sick to my stomach. As a matter of fact, I had to bend over, put my head between my legs, and I was actually pushing my purse aside thinking, I'm going to lose it right here. And I had to keep my eyes covered, and you could still hear what was going on. And to me, that, I, it was almost like a Polaroid. I know you younger kids don't know what that was, but 
back in the old days, they used to take pictures like this, and this little thing used to come out the front, and we would do this, and we would wave it, blow on it, and slowly watch this picture emerge that we just took 10 minutes ago on this little, you know, cardboard thing. And when I watched that movie in that theater, I could feel that picture coming to life on my heart. And I thought, I'm never going to be the same again. Because I'm never going to let that, that scene go away. Because when you read it in the Bible, when you read it and 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 you hear the stories and the felt board and the flannel graphs and everything through Sunday schools and you hear it and you hear it and you hear it and you hear it and you hear it, it becomes familiar. But God, I believe in his sovereignty, touched a very sinful man and helped him portray in a realistic way what Jesus did. Yes, for everyone. But until it becomes personal, it won't change you. He did for you. He did for me. And what blows my mind is while I was still a sinner, while I was still the one in the crowd yelling, Crucify him! Spitting on him. Kicking dirt at him. You're nothing. You're nobody. What are you doing? Stupid. Healed everybody else. Heal yourself. You're supposed to be the son of God? Get yourself off that cross. Where's your miracles now? While we were still sinners, he took that. While I was still my worst sinner, he did that for me. Who is Jesus to me? Who is Jesus to you? Is he the lover of your soul? Is he the breath in your lungs? Is he the song on your lips? Who is Jesus to you? Is he the culmination of all your heart's desires? Is he the hope? of your future. Who is Jesus to you? Come on now. It's time to get honest. Stop playing church. It means nothing to know about him. It means nothing to say all the right words, lift your hands, even do all the right things. If you don't know him personally, it doesn't mean a thing. When you know him personally, there will be noticeable differences in your life. And what I'm talking about now is knowing him to a point where you come to a wall. I, I have no other picture word to say than a wall of your own ways. I've been living life my own way, doing my own thing, playing church, and I come to this wall. And the only thing on this wall is the word Jesus. And I have a choice. Either I'm going to bow right there and surrender all of me to him and watch the wall fall and step across that wall and into a life with Jesus. Or I'm going to come to that wall, look at that name, and walk away. There's no other choice. There's no other place. You can't reside outside the wall and think, if I just keep my hand on that name, I'll be okay. And the only way to get from this side of the wall to that side of the wall is to surrender all of you to him. So what I'm talking about is knowing him is that you've come to that decision and you said right here, all of me, God, is you. To, for him to be the Lord of your life, I wish there was a stool up here, is I was sitting on the stool on the throne of my life. I come to that wall, I make that decision, I step off the throne and give full control 
to Jesus. I mean, we all like driving cars, right? We all like driving fast cars. Admit it. And to drive a fast car properly, you need to be in the driver's seat. Pedal to the metal. Feeling the steering wheel shake a little bit. The G-force pressing against your skin. My dad was a race car driver. And I remember one of the cars he was storing, he loved restoring cutlasses. We loved, we was raised, it was it. That was the car, the car of the car. And I don't remember what one this one was, but yeah, that's what he used to drive. But that was my sister in case. Anyway, but he took me out. He said, Brenda, we're going to go for a ride in this car. He said, I'm going to set a $20 bill up on the dash. When I tell you go, if you can reach it, you can have it. He did this to me. Really the reason I like going so fast, he did this to me. And so sure enough, my frail little body, and he's like, mm, and I've got a big awesome oil on my face, and he goes, okay. And I tried all my might. I tried to reach and grab that, but I couldn't. And we got all done. We came back to the house, and he goes, so what would you think about that? I go, yeah, I like it a lot. A lot. But to, yeah, that was before. See, thank you for telling how old I am, too my sister. Anyway, but to drive a car, to really think I'm in control, you have to be in the driver's seat. But when you make that decision that Jesus, I'm making you the Lord of my life, you can't put him in the passenger seat or in the back seat. That's You can't do that. And too many Christians are thinking they're okay just because Jesus is in the car. No. He specifically says in the word that you have to give up your rights. He has to be the Lord of your life or he isn't the Lord of your life. He's either in control or you are. Or you're just heading for an accident. If nobody's driving. Are you in a parked car, buddy? Come on. So... When you, I'm talking about knowing him, you've come to that place where you're getting out of the driver's seat and you're saying, right here, God, you're in control. That's the decision. That's the knowing him part. And I'm looking around at some Christians who have been Christians for a long time. And you said, oh, Pastor Brenda, I've done that. No. No. Because what I want to share with you is we think, and at times we do, and I'm pointing my finger at me first. There are times I'm really good at this, and I'm not only in the passenger seat. I'm way back in the stretch limo because my car's a stretch. Sorry. And I'm way back there, and I'm like, anywhere you want to take me, God, I'm good. Go ahead. Love it. And next thing I know, I'm praying, and I'm looking around. How did I get in the driver's seat again? And I start looking around the vehicle, and he's clear in the back. Well, you pushed me back here. How did that happen? I don't even know how it happens. But just life and things and happens. So I'm encouraging you too today that we have to, what does the Bible say? Die daily. Daily. For me, it's checking hourly. God, am I in the driver? I'm sorry. I'm back here again. Oh! Sorry. See, I had to, in my mind's picture, I had to have bench seats up there because I was constantly climbing over the stick shift to get in the driver's seat. It was awkward. So I created a bench seat, automatic. Yeah, 444. Anyway, stretch limo, 444, stretch limo. 442, stretch limo, all the way. That's in my mind. Anyway. So that decision I'm talking about is a daily decision. I'm talking about a knowing him, not when you were five years old, but just yesterday. I'm talking about a knowing him just this morning. I'm talking about a knowing him just during worship. I'm talking about experience him daily. 
knowing him daily. If you know him personally, there will be a noticeable change in your life. There will be noticeable fruit in your life. If you know him as the one that died for you in your place, it will affect the way you live out the rest of your life because you've been given a second chance. I don't care if you is the best person of the best people. And you never sinned, which is a lie. Anyway, your whole life. And then you came and you met Jesus. Your life will still look differently after you surrender to God. Because he drives your car differently than you do. If it looks the same, then you're still in the driver's seat. If your life looks the same before you met Jesus, before you turned over your rights to him, before you made him the Lord of your life, and he's not the Lord of your life, if it looks the same, your life will be noticeably different because you've been given a second chance at life. You've been given all of heaven's resources to live a godly life, fulfilling the purpose God created you for. That means your life will be noticeably different. You're like, well, I still go to the same job. I still have the same spouse. I still live in the same house. But there's something noticeably different. Because now when you go to that same job and you're working by Johnny here at the same press doing the same thing, now you're like, dude, you should have been with me at church yesterday. It was awesome. You're doing your same job, but there's something different. I remember I, don't, I gave my life back to the Lord because I was raised at Charlotte Assembly. Anyway, split, went my own, did my own thing. Coming back to the Lord, Jacob, you need to take notes. Anyway, sorry, I was a mothering moment there. When I gave my heart back to the Lord, I mean, I was, like Paul said, the sinner of the sinners. That's all I'm going to say. Gave my heart back to the Lord, surrendered everything. I knew him personally right away, and I declared I would not let my life become ordinary any longer. But I was going to use it because he gave me a second chance for his glory, everything. And I was walking down the street, went back to my old stomping grounds. I don't know why or what I was doing that day. But I was walking down the sidewalk, and one of the store owners comes running out. Brenda, Brenda Lee, is that you? Yeah, that was my maiden name. And I turned around, yeah, hey, what are you doing? She goes, what's different about you? There's something different about you. I looked at myself. I said, no, Still have the 80s hairdo, you know, still wearing the same T-shirts and jeans, and I was probably barefoot and whatever. Anyway, she goes, no, there's something different about you. I said, well, if you want to hear about it, I'll tell you what I've been up to. So we went back in her shop, and I shared with her how I came to know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior and that he cleans from the inside out. I might still be wearing the same clothes, but, yeah, you're right, there's something huge different about me. Because I have a new purpose in life. I have God driving this car. If you know him as your deliverer, the one who set you free from all your sins, habits, addictions, it will change your perspective. I'm going to be very careful when I say this. I'll just use me. I'm always a good example just because I can't offend myself. I said, I don't think I can. Anyway, I was huge, huge addicted to uh, alcohol. I was an alcoholic. Young, I became an alcoholic, I think, when I was um, 12. Um, and drugs, it was never enough. It was a little here, and it always leads you. Sin will always take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you wanted to stay, and cost you more than you wanted to pay. Just get that stamped in your memory in your mind, and say it to your kids over and over and over again, um, and your friends. And so I, I was I just, anyway, when I gave my heart to the Lord, 
took away everything. I mean like that, everything. No more desire for alcohol, cocaine, nothing. Except cigarettes. So I argued for the longest time. I was the biggest defender of smoking. Let me just tell you because God must say it's right because he didn't deliver me from that. I'll talk about that in a minute. But anyway, so for alcohol, for me, and still is to this day, I don't want to have a thing to do with it. I, I don't, I don't want to, I'm not, not, yeah, there's no sip, nothing. I mean, as a matter of fact, I was visiting a church, and they were doing communion, and I, I'm like, what's in this communion cup? like well wine no buddy for me not a thing not not a not a drop not a thing and let me explain why and then I'll go back to the cigarette thing and you can all hate me later anyway because for me I was in the pit of the pit I wasn't just in the pit before I came to Jesus I was in the pit of the pit and I was the world's trash I was used abused no good for nothing. I mean, you just go ahead, throw on all the labels you want to. I was down in there. And when I mustered up the strength to slip back into a non-denom, non-denominational church, because I knew the assemblies were more holy than any. Anyway, no. They are. Slipped in the back row, hid in the back. Anyway, when Jesus came to that back row, picked me up, scooped me up, all muddy, all trashy, all used, all abused, kissing on my cheek, carried me up to the front, and somehow washed me from the inside out, reclothed me with not my righteousness, but his robe, put on me, put the ring on my finger, kissed me again on the cheek, called me his beloved his prized possession, the apple of his eye, and set me up again and said, here it is. All the resources of heaven are at your beck and cry. Now go and do what I created you to do. He put in my life a bloodline to never again touch anything from that pit. So for me, when I see, because I can see across that line, I see that pit. I can see alcohol. I'm not blind to it. I see alcohol. I can see the drugs. I can see all the junk, all the, you know, tantalized. The Bible says sin is fun for a season. I can see all that stuff. But I also see this huge bloodline. And so for me, I want to stay as far away from that pit as I can. So I don't mess around with it. I don't play around with it. If somebody else is playing, I'm very verbal in communicating. If you're a Christian, there should be a bloodline somewhere in your past. Where is it? Are you trying to get as close to that pit as you can and just keep your toes on this side of the bloodline? How dare you? Do you understand what that bloodline represents? If you don't, go see that movie, The Passion. Rent it. I've got them. Everybody's got, go see what, was, what it cost for that line to be drawn in your path to pull you out of that pit and to set you a right and a new and give you a second chance. So for me, I don't go anywhere near that. And now just for a second, it has nothing to do with my message, but just so I don't leave you hanging. Um, for me, I really believe, and I argued with God over this one because I fought hard, nailed, almost killed my sister a few times trying to quit smoking. Uh, my husband stood in the gap for her because I was going to kill her. Anyway, when I knew God was calling me, it was time to lay down my cigarettes. I believe he delivered me from everything else quickly because of his mercy. But there's something about creating character, determination, and discipline in your life that only you can build when you lay down certain things. Now, God's strength is there. His hand was always there because Carrie's still alive today. Because I loved cigarettes. 
But there was something about it when God put, and I'm not saying it's wrong or really, I'm not. But when God, whatever it is, when God puts his finger on you, and I think I've shared this a couple of times with some different leaders, and Paul, we studied that even in Corinthians this weekend. Paul even said, I'm not saying right or wrong things. I'm saying you need to weigh them differently. Is it beneficial? It's not that it's wrong. I'm not going to say smoking is right or wrong. How dare I judge that? In my own life, I mean, I was a defender. It was right. It was right. And it might be. To me, rated R movies that have anything to do with poltergeist, spiritual conjuring, Ouija boards, you know, that kind of stuff is completely wrong. But a rated R movie because it's the Patriot War and guy's arm ripped off and, you know, blood and gore, yes! Why? Because God put his finger on me over that because I was into witchcraft and stuff. And for me, that's in that pit on that other side of that bloodline. And now there's some things that you might enjoy I don't know how else Paul described it, that that is desirable on this side of that bloodline. That's not right or wrong, but if God puts his finger on it and says, you know what, in your life at this time, this is no more, no longer beneficial to where we're going together. Then we have to take that thing. And I mean, it it was hard because, I mean, I would, I'd crush up those cigarettes and throw them in that pit. And what do you know? There's a store and another pack of cigarettes. How did that get there? Where did that come from? I actually remember, and there's a whole big long story, but I, I actually remember after I had, I mean, because I was at the altar all the time. And let me encourage you, if you are trying to quit anything, not just smoking, but quit anything, or God's calling you to lay down something, Keep getting up to the altar and pray for it. Don't ever be discouraged. Just keep going up to the altar and getting prayed. Keep going up to the altar and getting prayed for it. Because one of the times it will stick. Because I kept going back over to the line and I would crush them up and throw them in again. And then I remember driving one time and it's like, how did you get in my fingers? Where'd you come from? I don't even see a pack of cigarettes anywhere. I used to dream about them, and I would wake up looking in my bed. Oh, I dropped it. I dropped it. It's like, wait a minute, I don't even smoke anymore. But there's something about the discipline, the character that is building you when God's sitting there. It's just like the little baby. Come on. The little baby that's crawling, 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 and then you hold him by the hands, and you got him by the hands, and you're like, you can do it. What do you do? You let go of him. And you step back. Come on, come on. Now, that could be torture. Don't you realize what you're doing? Why do you keep letting go of your kid? Right? He just fell down. He's crying now. And you, ha, ha, isn't that cute? Stand back up. Do it again. I think that's child abuse there. But that's what a good parent does. You can build strength in your legs to hold yourself up and walk. The longer I step back and say, come on, you can do it. You can do it. That's free. That wasn't even in the message. Anyway. But if you know him personally, there will be a bloodline in your past. If you know him as the lover of your soul, when the world turned their back on you, treated you like trash, used and abused you, he stepped in, held you in his arms, washed you clean, and calls you his prized possession, the apple of his eye, you will be noticeably different. You will act different. You'll dress different. You'll talk different. The desires of your heart, your dreams, your passions won't be yours. They'll be to fulfill his. But just knowing about him won't change you. Do you know him personally? 
If you can honestly say yes, then other people will be able to see that difference, that noticeable difference in what you do. And going hand in hand with what you do is who he is to you will determine who you become. Turn with me over to Matthew chapter 16. Back just a couple chapters. Jesus asked this same question to his disciples. Matthew chapter 16. Starting at verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah, or just, here it is, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked to his disciples? Who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the anointed one, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades, or the gates of hell, will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. If you know who Jesus is, it will change what you become. He said, on you, Jesus said, I will build my church. And he wasn't just talking about Peter here. Jesus is called the chief cornerstone. Peter and all other Christians are the living stones who become part of the structure of the spiritual house that God is building. If you know who Jesus is, you will get connected and do your part in the body of Christ. You can't help but do it. You know this is my responsibility. He's called me. He will build his church. I have a part to play. He called us the body. And so if even if you're just the little pinky finger or the little pinky toe, if you're not doing your, your part, you affect, you hinder, you cripple the entire body from doing what it's supposed to do, from being who it's supposed to be. If you know him... Jesus, for who he is, it will determine what you will become. You'll do your part in the body. You will stand strong. It says the gates of hell won't overcome you. No matter what comes against you, you will be an overcomer. I, I have to admit, I mean, I'm not always the quickest one when all it seems like, seems like all hell's breaking loose against you at one time. Why can't we spread this out? I could, you know, we could plan this out, God. You know, so all hell don't have to attack at once. But then it seems like in the middle of it, I'm like, why am I even fretting? What am I worrying about? What, what is this? Nothing. Nothing. I am an overcomer in Christ. If we remain faithful to God and obey his commands as God's people, he will demonstrate we will, sorry, we will demonstrate the kingdom power of the Holy Spirit against Satan, sin, disease, the world, and the demonic. The gates of hell, it says, will not prove stronger than you. Why? Because he's given us the Holy Spirit and all the resources of heaven. And he's already, if you read the end of the book, he's already won. What are we getting so worried about? It is in, it is this kind of church that Satan and his hosts can never resist, destroy, or overcome. And the third thing, you will 
use. He said, he will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. If you're doing, if you know Jesus for who he is, it will change who you become because you will use all the resources God has given you, all the resources of heaven. He said, I've given you everything you need to live a godly life and fulfill the purpose I created for you. He's given it all to us. And yet we kind of worry and toil and fret and what are we doing? What are we doing? What are we doing? He's like, hey, hey, hello. You're out in the backyard worrying about the weeds growing up in the yard. And he's like, hey, all the tools are in the garage, man. Get in the garage, grab the tools to go to work. Don't stand there and fret and looking at it. And, oh, what am I going to do? Like, go to work. Tools are in the garage. What do you need? Look in the garage. All of heaven's resources. He said, I've given you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. So that, I like those words. So that whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Anything that's spoken in heaven can be spoken on earth. All of heaven's resources. Do you think Satan could make anyone in heaven nervous? Do you think Satan could make anyone in heaven fear, worry, doubt? No. Whatever, whatever you bind or loose is the same as binding or loosing it in heaven. All of the resources. God, I don't know if you want to make my sister well. What? Does he want sickness in heaven? No. So he doesn't want sickness on earth. Have you ever read anywhere in the Bible where it says he healed some? No, he healed all. All. The message translation says, and that's not all. You will have complete and free access to God's kingdom. Keys to open any and every door. No more barriers between heaven and earth or earth and heaven. A yes on earth is a yes in heaven, and a no on earth is a no on heaven. It's all yours. It's all yours. In closing, in other words, Crystal, come on up. I'm talking about bringing you to that wall. Okay, sorry, I don't want to offend anyone. I'm bringing you to the cross. Well, maybe there's a cross painted on the wall. Okay, does that make you feel better? <laughs> yes, somebody said, yeah, okay. I love the honesty. I'm bringing you to the wall to make the decision. I don't care how long you've been a Christian. Again, like I said earlier, you need to die daily. You need to know daily. You need to come to a place where you are constantly looking around. Am I sitting in the driver's seat again? Crap, I'm sorry, God. Back over here. Get over there, Lord. I'm sorry. I just like to drive fast. He drives the speed limit. I feel an arrow in my back. I just got to pull it out right now. I'm talking about bringing you to that wall to where you no longer just know him as a healer. You no longer just know him as a prophet. You no longer just know him as a crutch. But you can know him personally. Who is Jesus to you? yourself daily that question so it stays fresh in your mind 
because we sometimes become little gerbils or hamsters on that wheel of life. Running, 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 going nowhere. And we have to say, God, why am I, how did I get back on this wheel again? I'm, I'm running, 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 wearing myself out and not going anywhere. He says, look, you're not even in a cage any longer. I busted you out a long time ago. Stay off that wheel. We got a purpose to do. We got a mission to do. We got things to do. What are you doing back on that wheel again? We have to ask ourselves daily, Lord, am I giving you full control? Are you in the driver's seat? C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, said of who people say Jesus is, he writes this. I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him, and that is, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher. But I don't accept his claim to be God. I accept that he has good things to say. I accept him as a prophet, but I don't accept him as the Lord of my life. He can be with me in my life, is what C.S. Lewis is, is saying here. He can be with me in my life. He'll, he can be the cross on my neck. I wear the bumper sticker on my car, the tattoo on my arm. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would be a lunatic. On the same level with a man who says, I'm a poached egg. Or else he would be the devil of hell. But you must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for being a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall flat on your face before him and call him Lord. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us, and he did not intend us to think of him like that. He is either the Lord of your life or he's not. Who is Jesus to you personally? Let me close. Well, I was in prayer this morning asking God, how do you want me to close this, Lord? Three things. Last week when I preached, I closed with a story of um, Evan Roberts. He led the Welch Revival. And the famous prayer when he got up to preach for the first time in a tent, the only thing that came out of his mouth was something that God had been bubbling in his heart since he was a child for revival, which was bend us, Lord, bend us, Lord, bend us, Lord, bend us, Lord. And I studied that. What does that mean, bend us, Lord? And it's that if we have natural inclination to stand or to go one way, Bend us, Lord. Move us in your direction. Don't let us fly by the window that you're standing in. Bend us. Stop us. Pull us back. Bend us towards you, God. Help us keep our face set like flint toward you. Bend us, God. Bend us, God. I cry often, God, ruin me for anything the world has to offer. Because I'm not stupid. The Bible says sin is tempting. Sin is fun for a season. So my prayer is constantly, God, ruin me. So that it makes me sick to even think about going anywhere near that bloodline. Let nothing even if it's not sin, 
If it's not beneficial, ruin me for it. I don't want it any longer. If I have to choose that or you, it means nothing. Nothing. To have more of you, God, ruin me for everything else. And the third thing is, and this was a hard one for me, and I'm actually going to be